Welcome to Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactica podcast by LSG Media. Hi, I'm Dean, and I've seen every episode of BSG. Hi, I'm Matthew, and I haven't seen any episode of BSG. On this week's episode, we bring you Season 1, Episode 3, titled Bastille Day. It's unacceptable. It's done. Prisoners have full control of the Astral Queen. We evac all the guards and support personnel. It's their ship. They're a threat to the entire fleet. They've been disarmed. The ship itself has no weapons. The ship itself is a weapon. They're totally dependent on us for food, fuel, and they've agreed to organize the workforce for the water detail on the moon. You've committed me to holding elections within the year. Madam President, with respect, you're serving out the remainder of President Adar's term. The articles say there's an election in seven months. Now, if you're telling me we're throwing out the law, then I'm not a captain, you're not a commander, and you are not the president, and I don't owe either of you a damned explanation for anything. Well, how's about Leah Dama this week, Matthew? How you doing, buddy? Saucy there. He's the sauciest we've had him yet in that uh, episode. Getting real saucy with the two most powerful people in the fleet, isn't he? (laughs) Indeed. I like it, though. Awesome. I like that scene a lot. It's great. I like that. I like that clip that pick it's so good ah it gets me pumped up i like it a lot it's funny this is the episode for me where i started to come around on lee you know oh, i yeah, started to sure. really enjoy his presence because he got into some fisticuffs he he did well <laughs> he did some some good stuff with his rhetoric and it was uh, very enjoyable for me to yeah. uh, to watch this and to rewatch it especially but for those of you uh, joining us for the first time i'm dean that's matthew i've seen them all and matthew has not we're going through this and it's a lot of fun and we're going to be talking about Bastille Day, and uh, we are going to do this the way we always do it, aren't we, Matthew? We're going to start with some opening thoughts. We're going to get to the trivia questions from the prior week. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, of course you are, because you did well. Uh, yes! Yes! <laughs> we'll explicate our way through the scenes, and then we'll close out with some final thoughts and maybe some prompting questions, if I can think of any between now and then. And uh, this is new for us. We've got quite a few shows over at LibertyStreetGeek.net. That's LibertyStreetGeek.net, where we talk about things that... For the most part, we haven't seen or we've both seen. This is a rare instance where we're doing a TV show that I've seen and he hasn't. So it it affords a different style of conversation in that I am able to ask Matthew some prompting questions Mm -hmm. that get him thinking about future possibilities without spoiling. And that plays into the trivia we do because each week we ask a trivia question about an upcoming episode that will tantalize and titillize young Matthew in the attempts to get him excited for the next episode with teaserish types of things, not full-on spoilers. Yeah, this is our first show where you've gotten to sit comfortable in the role of a cackling dungeon master, and I'm yeah. just wandering through your labyrinth. Make a save against poison. You failed. <laughs> Roll up another character. No, it's a good time. I like it. It's uh, it's fun. It's a unique experience. Uh, it, I don't have to worry about trying to predict or wrap my head around things, or I don't have to try to understand the universe. So on the one hand, there's a burden lifted off of me. But on the other, there's a challenging being careful about getting into my own observations and speculations that I don't tip you off as to future things. Mm -hmm. But there are times where I just have to let my observations be known, damn whether or not they become true or not. And I just have to try to be as honest with myself as possible and not spoiling that way we don't lose out on any potential content. 
but uh, you're delivering plenty of wonderful content in your own interpretation of this and in your own speculation as you piece these things together and sit through these episodes and watch them. And I really like that part of this. I love experiencing this. You know, I'm one of those insufferable pricks that I, if you haven't seen something. I know, something, stop there. No, I, I know. <laughs> hold. <laughs> That's all I needed to hear. Insufferable prick. No, but uh, I, like to, I like to experience something for people, with people um, that haven't seen things that I have seen Oh, and, uh, you know, when I was younger, I realized I would put this enormous amount of pressure on people like a total asshole. And I'd be like, <laughs> you have to see this. Stop everything. Come over. We're going we're gonna to throw a Celeste pizza in and eat it and consume <laughs> uh, 40 yes. fucking thousand grams of sodium. And then we're going to watch this and you're going to like it because I'm going to sit here and I just know you will. Now, a lot of the times I was accurate because I knew my my friends when we were younger, you know, I knew they would like it, but I, I realized as an adult that is putting in a lot of pressure on somebody to really like something. You know, it's like when somebody's <laughs> like, you got to hear this song, and they're like, all right, and they're like, what do you mean, all right? <laughs> but I've learned- <laughs> You're to, doing a Commander Adama, pick your side. Yeah, exactly. Pick it, you better pick the right <laughs> side. Elections, what are you, gay? <laughs> uh, but I, I like to, uh, one of the things I like to do now is, is I, I have that same- desire but i temper i'm like oh that's cool you should check it out and i'll watch it with you if you want like i try to downplay it right yeah even and on the inside you're just teeming with, teeming. with angry yes it's like me trying to get you to watch fucking game of thrones dude but um yeah. you I, I, you'd love it you would love the shit out of it because you're not like anti-fantasy or anything and it's barely yeah. fantasy but enough about got let's talk about this so let's get to your initial impressions about bastille day and then if i want to riff off of your stuff i will um the first thing i want to ask you is rather than asking you where are you a letter grade on this because i don't think that really matters i like just to throw that in there once in a while uh, what was the standout part in this episode to you without getting into detail we'll just yeah. just tease it because we'll come to it when we're going through the scenes what was the standout part in this week's episode for Bastille Day? I think, you know, it's funny how you said in the beginning, this is the episode that got you liking uh, Captain Lee Adama. And I had actually already started to come around on him. I was already fairly high on him past the miniseries. Uh, right. But this is the this is totally his show, this episode. And, sure. and I really like it. And I this is I'm I'm really impressed with him and I'm impressed with you know the actor's performance. Um, this is also the first time I'm writing a little lower on Commander Adama. I'm going, huh, you know, we're, we're seeing him be a lot more inflexible, intractable, and just a little like, you know, shit, man. Hey, you got you to gotta roll with the punches here. You can't just have it your way. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting for the first time, a character that I've already immediately came to respect in Commander Adama. I'm, I'm kind of raising an eyebrow at him. So that was an interesting feeling in this episode. It's the first time I've, I've felt that way towards him. But uh, yeah, another... Great episode. I'm strong. I mean, I, I've been continually, perpetually enjoying this show. Uh, every episode has been great. And I, I like that this one is, is like, as I already said, Lee's episode. It is a strong, focused, you know, character study on Lee. And the standout moment of the show, of this episode for me, is probably when he is facing off with uh, Zarek and and having to negotiate the sides. And I like how even, you know, we'll get to it, but like Zarek is basically saying, now nah, you're, you're, you're trying to do something that only the gods can do. And you're a mere man. You can't, 
you cannot bring together two inextricable, you know, elements. And he kind of does. Like, he pulls it off in the end. And I like him with the gun on Zarek saying, nah, I'm going to make it work. Yeah. I'm going to balance it. That's great. You know, I will say this. So I'm going to riff on your Adama a little bit there. I like how... Uh, another thing that happens, as you said, hey, wait a second, you scratched your head and you were curious about Adama behaving the way he was behaving, sort of like an officious type of uh, person who is unyielding and unflexible. I felt no. the same way about Rosalind for a few brief moments. And uh, we'll get to those as we go. The non-negotiating, the when is your team moving in, the I want to be done with this, the I know this guy's dangerous, rebellion is contagious, the fear slipping away of her losing her position. Now, she can say that it's because she's concerned for the people and wants them to have hope, but I think there's a little bit of I think there's a little bit of ego there. I think there's a little bit of I, oh, I yeah. don't want to become irrelevant there because she's a human and that's what makes this so interesting. And oh, yeah. uh, so both of those people, both of these powerful people take hardline stances on this, but are persuaded by Lee, who has a great argument based in the law, as we heard in the clip at the front. And uh, that is a the standout stuff to me. But yeah, the Zarek and Lee stuff is outstanding, 100%. I agree with you, and uh, I am ready to tackle this bad boy. But before we do, we do have some trivia to attend to, do we not? Oh, yes, we do. And baby, I'm back on my hot streak. My <laughs> kid's college fund is getting dumped back into the betting pool. Hell yeah, hot streak. I'm going to win them all. You can buy baby new shoes. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> uh. All right. So on last episode, Water, we asked you some questions. And I just said, tell me which of these two things was it? Mm-hmm. Which of the, wait, out of five? Out I think of it was, five which? scenarios, tell me the two that were true. Yes. The five scenarios in question were the following. Lee convinces Rosalind that she must screw through an election process at the end of her term. Matt, you picked that right off the bat. You were absolutely correct. Two, Starbuck is the best shot in the cockpit, but we learned that she is not the best shot out of the cockpit. You weren't sure, but you avoided it. You tricky dick there. They say the exact opposite. They sure do. Ty maintains his sobriety, shares a mutually respectful drink of water with Starbuck. Almost. About to say, that basically happens but with a slight twist yeah it's a, it's it's like the bizarro world version it's starbuck brings him water and she shares her respect but he buffs her <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like a weird bizarro twisted you know one of those uh mirrors at the carnival <laughs> so I've, you, you avoided that one which is smart during a violent encounter with prisoners callie sustains a gunshot wound i'm surprised you picked that nailed surprised and then finally Rosalind's found unconscious by guys and learns of her cancer from Billy I thought that was such a good one that was I'll tell you man that was nibbling on the corner of the strike zone and you were, you were uh, yeah. like, nope, I'm watching it go by. Call it a ball. I know. Call I, it a ball. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I really did almost go with that one. I was like, that's, oh, that's got to be it, right? That sounds, and it, that would be a great scene. Like I could have easily seen the writer's room going in that direction. Sure. But, ah. Uh, no dice. Oh, just by the skin of my teeth. So talk to me. Those are five pretty good picks. Why did you – tell me about – okay, so you kind of told me about Rosin's Final Conscious by Gaston's for Cancer for Billy. You said that was nibbling. It was really tempting. But ultimately, you decided that the chances of that happening were less than Callie being shot by prisoners. Um, so was that because we heard of prisoners in a prior episode? Because I know there was a clue in there 
Yeah. Yeah, somebody said something about the Astral Queen, and it was just a real quick one. I didn't realize you were going to pick up on it coming back so quick. What what led you to these choices? Just sheer guesses? What were you piecing together in your mind? I'm curious. A little bit. I mean, I, I we even talked about how water was, in a lot of ways, a quieter episode. Yes. And I, I feel like with that little prisoner's drop, I was like, that, to me, is the hint of the next episode being a louder one with more action and maybe some violent gotcha. stakes in there. Gotcha. Um, Makes sense. Good pick. Yeah, and so I was, I was kind of late. And when when you brought that one up, like Callie gets wounded by prisoners, I was like, ooh, the prisoners. That does sound like a thing that might come back. All right, that sounds like a nice action piece for the next episode. So outstanding. Just went with my gut. Good job. And then you thought the Lee convincing Roslyn to go through elections. You you figured that just seems so logical. Uh, when I think back on that, I thought that was kind of a kind of a bounce pass to you in the paint. You know, with more sports analogies, I don't know what my problem is today. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I definitely was like, I I was kind of surprised that hadn't come up sooner in this show. Of right. like, okay, well, like, when is the, when are the, you know, because they're talking about keeping these structures of government alive, but it's like, okay, well, you do have to talk about that at some point. And I, I can't wait to get into Zarek's outrage about there not being an election because I'm like, fucking chill. <laughs> but <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, yeah, that is something that needs to be talked about. I'm like, all right, that's inevitable. It's got to come up. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted uh, Captain Picard to say, you, sir, are outrageous. Outrageous. You are outrageous. <laughs> well, good job, Matthew. You crushed it. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have to, at the mid-season here, we'll go through a little tally and we'll get your score where you're at so far. Oh, yeah. And then hopefully uh, I'm not broke. Hopefully you're not broke. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. Let's uh, dive into this one. So Bastille Day is the third episode of the season, right? Or technically. Yeah, technically. That's right. Yeah. And uh, it's confusing with the miniseries, the way they oh, decide know. they are episodes, they aren't episodes. Depends on where you look. But uh, yeah. d- uh, written by Tony Graffia in uh, Tony Woman has uh, has been involved in quite a few things on her IMDb page. She's written for Outlander, Grey's Anatomy, Alcatraz, The Cape, Mercy, Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles. So she's Ooh. written for Machines before. And uh, she's written, she, you're going to come to learn that she's written 33, oh, no, no, excuse me, co-executive producer on 33 BSG episodes. Oh, okay. Pretty so her, cool. her eye is going to be a frequently occurring one. A frequently occurring one. In terms of her writing credits, she wrote three episodes. She okay. wrote this one, one called Flesh and Bone, and one called Resistance. They're vague enough to not spoil. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote for Carnival as well, uh, which was a oh. slick TV series that was on, I believe, HBO, very short-lived. Yes. She oh, wrote yeah. for Roswell, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, uh, she has a shitload of experience, this woman, which is uh, impressive to me. And then, of course, uh, Alan Croker was the director. He directed the episode titled Resistance, which she wrote. So obviously they, they've teamed up. They will team up again in uh, this uh, universe, which if you like this episode, that's got to be good news for you. Yeah, nice. Yeah, very cool. And then Alan Croker is involved, was involved with Star Trek quite a bit. Enterprise, Voyager, Deep Space Nine. Oh, that's the good stuff. Yeah, very good stuff. And I can only assume that's where he met our main man, Ron Moore. Pure yeah, speculation here, like but I'm throwing it out there. Uh, he directed 13 Enterprise episodes. He directed the Twilight Zone remake. He directed 13 Voyager episodes. How weird. Two Trek seasons of 13. Oh, and a, and a third in Deep Space Nine. 13. 
It must be how it must be some kind of contractual thing. Why why thirteen? I wonder. Interesting. Huh? Yeah. And what do you know? We're recording on Friday the thirteenth, May. How about oh, that? Son of a bitch. May 13, 2016, although you're probably hearing this in December. <laughs> Wear <laughs> warm and you're gonna be cold. Well, depending on where you are. So that's just a little bit of background on this week's episode. But something you might not realize is, is that Tom Zarek Matthew is played oh, by I Richard Hatch. Ah, the original Apollo. Yeah, baby. How's that's- Right. How slick is that to, to grab this guy and pull him back in? I like that. And especially for an episode where he is very much, you know, the mirror opposite and in the face of the new Apollo. It's cool. Yeah, it's nice awesome. Touch. I like him. I really like this this guy. I really like this actor. I think he's awesome and uh, he's enjoyable. Oh, yeah. He nailed this part. Absolutely. Uh, ironically enough, I believe the first winner of the Survivor TV show is named Richard Hatch, which yeah. is funny because he's uh, yep. from around here. I think either Mass or Rhode Island, which is where I am. Matthew, of course, on the other side of the country in Oregon. All right. What do you say we hop to this, brother? Let's let's to to Colonel Ty and his thimble of whiskey. Boy, oh boy. So on the Galactica, we learn that uh, Colonel Ty wakes up. Uh, We hear the Reveille call. So it's like 6 a.m. or earlier, and he decides that the wagon is for wimps, and he jumps right off that fucker, and he dives into his booze. And he starts to drink. Yes, sir. And he quickly moves to a scene with Chief Tyrrell reporting to Ty that they found an ice moon. And on that ice moon, they have found an ocean. Well, they had already found the moon, thanks to, of course, Crashdown and uh, Galactica Boomer. But environmental conditions mean it will be tough to get to, but Ty urges him, cheer up, Chief! <laughs> we found water. Boy. And basically, yeah, the... The subsurface ocean that they find underneath there is salt water, but the ice itself is the water. So they have a huge job ahead of them of trying to melt the ice itself and collect the water. Right. So a couple things about Ty here. We get more understanding as to how he feels about civilians who have already started riding, we've learned. So the civilians are riding because of the water rations. They are having trouble adjusting to that, and they're causing some problems. Ty does not like that. He does not want problems. He wants smooth sailing. But despite his feelings for the shitty civilians, he is quite cheerful today isn't he he is he's cracking jokes he's making Callie laugh like oh we might as well break out some lemons and make lemonade mm-hmm. he laughs, <laughs> and then he bumps it down he says ever see a man die of dehydration chief <laughs> and he's, he's got to come back to regular he, he's time. all over the place this guy yeah what do you think about ty right now in this scene i mean what what's going on here is this man to be trusted is he a total liability is he how would you feel if this guy walked into that room that day and you were one of those deck crews or maybe even Chief Tyrrell himself and yeah. this is your executive officer? He's the number two. Should something happen to Adama? He's number two. Yeah. How does and that you make you tell. feel? Well, you can definitely tell that the chief doesn't like it. He does not like that. You can tell. And I, this, this to me doesn't even seem like a drunk or incompetent tie. He's just a freshly buzzed tie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I have the feeling that this is this is maybe not routine. Obviously, he doesn't have enough alcohol for it to be routine at this point. But something that happens infrequently here and there with him, he drinks in the morning and he's this kind of slightly more bubbly version of himself for the first hour of the day. And then he's back to normal Ever watch a man die, Ty? 
Um, I would still have faith in the guy. I kind of would. I, I could totally see myself be, as a deck, you know, officer there, being like Callie, like kind of snickering a little bit. I'm sure. Like, All right, yeah, this is a, this is our bubbly tie today. Okay, cool. Like, I still would have faith in him in his competence. But I, you can tell, and it's funny because you know he busts uh, Chief and Boomer later on for their little fling. Indeed. But you can tell in this scene that Chief is definitely the more strictly adhering to the rule book kind of guy. Like, let's get down to to numbers here, crunch numbers, how many people we're going to need, let's make this stuff happen. Or as he can just, he's already put off a little bit by Ty's demeanor. Um, But yeah, he definitely, like I was saying, he doesn't have enough alcohol to be an alcoholic at this point. That shit is numbered. And I have the feeling that this happens irregularly. Just randomly, he has a tougher day waking up and he's just going to come in smelling a little bit like the sauce. He's a colonel in the colonial fleet. He's made it very far. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Farther than everyone except Adama, to be honest with you. There and you to, to be honest, that's, a, that's no small task. And uh, he's proved that he still keeps it together. He's what the internet likes to call a functioning alcoholic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? I mean, he really is. But, you know, the silver lining in this, for me, as I watch this again, is, uh, is Chief Tiro. Uh, he is such a great character because he gets to do such great shit. Matt, if you were to come to me and you said, Dean, I'm going to run a Battlestar Galactical role-playing game and there was a chief Tiro-like character available, it would be, uh, that'd be the character I'd want to be because I get to, I get to run a crew. I have a huge responsibility that's fun and exciting. That is one of those unsung heroes of keeping the plane. You're not the star pilot. You're not, you're not Maverick. You're not yeah. Starbuck, <laughs> but without you, the fleet doesn't go anywhere. That the fleet dies if you can't keep the planes in the air. Uh, I like that he has the experience and the gumption to bark at the pilot sometimes, despite the fact that they outrank him, technically speaking, because they're officers and he's non-commissioned. Yeah, I like that he gets to do these hard tasks, these very manly tasks of we got to get on that planet and dig the ice and. He has just such interesting things that he has to do. Now, obviously, when things are going haywire in the CIC and and Gata's calling action stations and summoning Ty to the CIC and things are getting hairy, that's exciting too, but that still involves the chief. The chief is so involved in everything with the ship. From combat time to non-combat time, we get to see that there's a lot of maintenance, a lot of work to be done. And I just appreciate that character role. I appreciate that character. And uh, I really think that um, Aaron Douglas just crushes this role. Yeah. And I mean, like, when you compare this to, like, you know, any classic military or war movie, like, he is the sergeant character. There is always that character of, like, give all your officers, all your brass, everybody else who's there. They all still openly lean on their sergeants. Yes. You know, these are the guys on the ground that it's like, hey, like – you can give all the orders you want, but none of this actually happens unless I'm you know, implementing it. <laughs> he right. has that power. Right. And you don't become a chief of the deck unless you've done that job. He's done mm. the job of the deckhands. He can relate to the crew. The crew understands that he is not a arbitrarily arbitrarily officer, yeah. yeah i mean arbitrary is a bit harsh because officers do earn their oh yeah stripes but yeah it, you kind of don't see this guy come in and get catapulted over a man who's been in for 20 years in terms of rank structure now the reality is is that those guys listen to their non-coms who have all that experience but at the same time those guys who have been in 20 and 30 years command so much respect 
from the people that work under them, unless, of course, they're hard asses. But that's what's so great about the chief. Here he is, what, 30, 35, probably went in at 18. I mean, he has a shitload of experience, and it's so invaluable. And uh, like I said, a, a role that grew from a production standpoint, the more interesting or the more interested that they became in Aaron Douglas's portrayal of Tyrrell and the more they became interested in Tyrrell. Uh, so awesome. a cool story. Yeah, no, I love when that happens. I love when the writing for a character expands just because of how the actor is pulling it off. That's right. cool stuff. Right. This is cut with the president getting the news from Apollo and Adama. Adama suggests that they order them to do it, the prisoner's meaning. Uh, but the yeah. president thinks it's uh, this is not going to be slave labor. And then, of course, Lee steps in on the alternative. So here we have two sides of a spectrum with Lee again finding himself delicately placed into the middle. He is this fulcrum that has to balance the left side and the right side on this. Uh, exactly. I mean that arbitrarily, directionally, not not politically. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he's just balancing this beam where Adamus says, they're prisoners, they have no rights, we need water, they're there, we need the manpower, let's get this done. Mm-hmm. Rosin says, boy, I don't know. And Lee says, why don't we meet somewhere in the middle, guys? How about this? No, Dad, I don't want to release hardened criminals to the fleet. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Adama scoffs at the whole idea of a point system. He's, he literally scoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. a bit insufferable, but I understand where he's coming from. He's an old school military guy. These dudes are in jail. He doesn't want to release them into the fleet. The fact that his son even suggests it probably makes him feel like, did I raise this kid or, or what? <laughs> what? What the hell is going on here? Yeah. And I do, you know, I feel, and this is it. This is the first scene, you know, of the episode we really get Adama and everything. And I was already like, whoa, Adama, Jesus. Like, I like that, you know, Rosalind's, you know, first, the way she she puts it pretty bluntly of like, hey, they're, you know, they're prisoners, they're not slaves. We're not going to just sure. force them to do work. She's like, I'm fine with them doing work, but volunteers only. Uh, right. And that was, and, you know, even, I think it's actually Lee that brings up the point of like, you know, these aren't just hardened prisoners on fucking death row off to be fired off, <laughs> sent out, out there in the galaxy to be fired into a sun or something. They are, they were all actually on their way back to Caprica for parole hearings. He's sure. like, these were people headed towards opportunities to be released. They had already been deemed, I guess, not that bad of a threat. And so I feel like it's a pretty, already, you know, Lee is negotiating his position as an advisor pretty well of, of, of issuing very reasonable compromises of being like, well, how about, you know, we, we offer this point system. And that actually brings around, I think, I can't remember if it's Adama or Rosalind that brings up the idea of, okay, well, we can at least go in there and vet out the most violent prisoners. And, I believe and Rosalind says that because Adama really snaps back he, on him. Yeah. When you say he's a, such a good advisor here, he's so good that it annoys Adama. And he's so <laughs> exactly. good. You know, he's so he does this so well that in Adama's mind, he now is an advisor. He's no longer a pilot in his mind in this moment. Because yes. he says, and this is really, this is a, a real kick, kick down low, if you ask me, when he just says, Look, I want an I want an, a, an advisor from Galactica on this. In other yeah. words, Lee, you're not that person. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a huge insult. He's the commander of the air group, and you're essentially saying, "I want my own advisor on this thing because mm-hmm. I can see this little cute thing going on between you and Rosalind, and I won't have it. I'm not going to be teamed up on by you guys. Yeah. I'm going to have see, my and, own person here. And that's the the underlying you know aspect to all of this this whole scene. It's not you know you take what they're saying, the conversation, the words they're saying themselves. It is all pretty reasonable, and they actually do come to a pretty amenable 
place and, 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 you know, move forward. But it's the fact, it is the fact alone that he's his son. If this were, if this were a, a separate person, just a totally different person who Adama was at least familiar with and understood, okay, or especially if it were not, if this were Ty saying the exact same things, I think he would be like, okay, yeah, we can go along with this. All right. You know, maybe raising an eyebrow at Ty, but maybe that would blowing be his head off, assuming he's a Cylon. <laughs> <laughs> you Cylon fuck. No, but, um, but it, it's the fact that it's his son that makes him, I think, even more rigid in his position. Yeah, I hear you there for sure. I mean, that's that's there's emotion. There's an emotional content here for an already rocky relationship that's surrounding Lee blaming his father for Zach's death, and it's messy. And they're just kind of getting over it. And now this, now this advisor to the president, now this. I want a Galactica. He doesn't say I want my own representative. He says I want a representative from Galactica. As if Lee is not even of Galactica anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is a shot across the bow if I've ever heard one. <laughs> That's true. In the follow-up scene in the hallway, we see Rosalind teasing Billy about Duala, of course, because Billy suggested that maybe Duala, right? Because. He's, he's interested the, in her. It's adorable. Yeah, he's the worst liar ever. Just because of her, you know, understanding of the mission. Uh. Yeah, not because he's super attractive. Not because she's basically Rihanna. And then in a mirror of this relationship, we see Adama breaking Lee's balls outwardly, saying, look, you have to pick a side. And this is where Lee still finds himself sliding between each end of this straight line, the fulcrum, if you will, trying to balance this thing, uh, saying... I didn't realize we're picking sides. Yeah. I mean, a great challenge question by Lee when he says, look, I, what do you mean sides? Yeah. And then as he walks away, Adam retorts to himself more than Lee. That's why I haven't picked one yet. <laughs> and see, and I still have trouble, you know, and this again, just further was making me go, wow, Adama, damn, I did not really expect this level of, you know, rigid, you know, fuckery. But I feel like I, I wish Lee had retorted with, uh, I am on a side, the human side. We're all on that. Like, that's it. That's all we've got now. We, our government, it's not, you know, there. I can understand this lasting impression of the world before all this of, hey, there's the government and there's the military, there's politicians and there's generals and they don't, they have to work together, but they don't really understand each other. Military knows its own shit better than they know it, even though they're giving them commands. I get that. There's that tension that's always there. But when you're talking about, hey, we're the, there are 50,000 of us and that's it. And that number is dwindling. Like, damn, you got to take that, that taking side shit off the table. Like there's only one side anymore. That's all you've got. Right. You know, shit. It's a human side. There is a hierarchy to the military that maintaining that hierarchy, especially in times of stress is very important though. And I think oh, that's yeah. where the Dom is coming from here. Because I think if we want to be honest with ourselves, I think if for some reason, Adama started to warm up to Billy and suddenly Billy was taking Adama's side on issues, right or wrong, I think it would affect Rosalind too. And, uh, I, but, but less so than it does between Adama and Lee because of this dynamic that they have. Yeah. Now, it's an odd position for Lee to be in. Lee is this guy who finds himself in the middle. He finds himself a very prudent man, very temperate. And yes. uh, naturally, he's falling into this. But he's, he is, right or wrong, compromising this structural hierarchy that the military relies on by becoming an advisor to Rosalind. He has now got divided loyalties, and you just can't have that. You, 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 
you can't have a second job while you are running an air group. That is a massive amount of responsibility. And uh, it was hard for, for Rosalind to put Adama in that position by, by tasking Lee like this. And uh, it's really affecting Adama. And I think it's his son, number one. Number two, there is a hierarchy in place here that is, if you compromise it, you're going to start to get bad results, especially in times of crisis. Yeah. And so I, think, I, I know, guess I understand Adama's perspective a little bit. I don't want to just shit on him this whole first half, but. Yeah. But, and I, I think since we're getting into that and it's a very short scene and actually the only scene with Boomer in the whole episode, not counting the one on Caprica, uh, that scene where <clears throat> Ty confronts Boomer and Chief about their relationship, that's, we see how much Ty and Adama are on that same old school, you know, brass of the military page of like, hey, you, you know, it was one thing when the ship was being decommissioned and you guys had a relationship and we were letting that slide. But this is now a time of war and this is a combat unit and, and he is your inferior. You're his superior. This relationship has to stop. And yeah. that is purely out of a, a like, as you're saying, an act of preserving the hierarchy of we can't let what divides you two in a hierarchical nature, get that loose and divided. And you two are now, oh, you're, you're giving her more shit that she needs on a mission instead of giving ah, somebody else the supplies they need and yes. this and that. Like, we can't let that shit get shifted around. And that's a decent point. Like, it, it is true. Like, in these times where you have to make very sometimes, you know, arbitrary, objective decisions about things, you can't have something so emotional compromising it. And so in that scene, I, I especially... I understand it. I, I see their perspective. It, it's true. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad that you. I'm glad that your point started at he's preserving the hierarchy into that ties astute enough to understand why he's doing it. He's not just doing it because he's following an order. Exactly. Ty's doing yeah. it because he understands that this could be detrimental to the integrity of the crew if you get this thing going on. Sex, love. Next thing you know. You let these two get away with it, then you're going to let these other three get away with it, and then it's a mess. And you yeah. cannot function in that situation. And that's especially in a time of war like this. And like he said, we were decommissioned. It was a downplay. The thing I really like about that scene, which we'll, we'll jump to and then we'll come back here, is that is this. When Ty walks in, he says, let me talk to her for a minute. And he dismisses the lower-ranking guy. There you go. I like that. I like that professionalism. Ty doesn't chew him out, chew her out in front of him. He mm-hmm. bounces Chief out of the room and he says, put a stop to it. And that's, <laughs> that's what he's that. saying. He's saying, you're the responsible one here. You're, you're his senior officer. This cannot happen. Yeah. And everybody knows it too. Everybody. <laughs> that's and, the other thing. And, like, yep. You know, it, it's poisoning the well in a way of like, all of, you know, that private who's been eyeing that sexy lieutenant is going to start wondering, well, why can't I bang them? That fucking boomer and chief are banging all the time behind the scenes. Right. It's Absolutely. It's a point. It's, it's a, there. It's a good point. Um, on the Astral Queen, we see Leah dressing the prisoners. We need 1,000 able-bodied men to get the water. The president feels you offer our best chance. She recognizes that you are not slaves. He goes on and on and tells him about new beginnings and points and whatnot to earn freedom. Uh, I love the way the scene is shot. We get a lot of panning around the cells. We hear his voice echoing through the cell block. Lots of POV shots from the cells up at Lee. In other words, prisoner POVs as they look at him through the cages. Uh, I just like the scene, how it's set here. I thought they did a great job. Oh, yeah. And you get that. It does look like a gigantic animal cage. Like It is just so rectangular and expansive. It's an oppressive looking place. Yeah. Tough to make prisons on ships, I guess. 
Yeah. And they're very tepid reactions from all the prisoners. Nobody is is really even perking up at this. They're just kind of sitting there looking up like, okay, whatever. Like nobody – it's very obvious right from the jump that none of them give a shit. Yeah, they must know that the humanity – that the human race is in dire straits and they're prisoners and they're like, well, what the fuck? Yeah, Here I was looking care. at possible parole and now what? Yeah. Now I'm getting <laughs> – you're right. Plus they're all under Zarek's sway as we're going to see in a minute, but – Oh, yeah. I do like when Lee pulls the levers, the levers, and then, of course, uh, Tom Zark says, steps out. There's a long, tense moment uh, as Lee's voice echoes around, and he says, thank you for your offer. We respectfully decline. And then the prisoners start banging and making noise, chanting, Zarek, Yeah. Oh, what, what's going through your head here? Ooh, that this is, well, for one, you know, in the very next scene, they establish it. Like, wow, this is a... This is their Bin Laden. This is their big deal of a guy. What like, kind of is, guy were you thinking, though, before it was established where you're like, dude, what is? why does this guy have such a reputation? Did you think it was political or? Oh, for sure. I, yeah. I was like, and I wasn't, I'm not saying I like, oh, I knew exactly that he was a political prisoner terrorist, but definitely a terrorist with a following. Like, yeah. that's what it struck me as, of like some kind of domestic terrorist. Um, sure. And God, do they, does he have a following? Like, that's what's crazy about it is that you can tell you know, what, what are we into? You know, when was Caprica attacked from this point? Maybe a month, you think? A month mm. or two out, two months out? Something? We're not far. We're not, not far, far out. This guy had been building sway over all these prisoners way before this. It's not like Caprica got attacked and then he was like, ooh, here's my moment. I think he realized that was a moment to, to make a move, but he had already been, you know, spreading his influence. And even through the guards, like that's an impressive and, and scary guy to be dealing with. Yeah. He's very persuasive. He's very charismatic, as we're going to come to learn. And he's very up, very polarizing. And we see that immediately when we get these cutbacks with Billy and Dee arguing about his <laughs> yeah. nature. She's uh, from the same uh, colony that he is from. Yeah, Billy calls is a sympathetic. She calls him a terrorist who blew up a building. A I mean, butcher. It, she yeah, straight up a, calls him a butcher. That's it. And uh, that is great. That's a great introduction for a character that has a polarizing nature that – you can see just based on D and Billy's reaction, it's believable he would hold sway over these men who really don't have anything. And he's somebody who gives them hope. He's somebody that preaches to them when they're down. You know, that kind of rebel rouser. Yes. Somebody who can get them fired up. You're feeling down in the dumps? I understand, my brother. I understand why you're feeling down in the dumps. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you what they're stealing from us every day. Let me tell you. (laughs) You know, you can fire them fucking guys up. And uh, you start to realize, yeah, we are getting fucked here. Let's do something about it. There you go. But we do move over to Silent Occupied Caprica. Yes, weird short little scene mm. here, and I, you know, and I guess we can we can jump to that pretty quick because you know it's essentially they're back in the city, one of the main cities of Caprica, uh, Hilo and Boomer, Capra, uh, Caprica Boomer, and they come across, I guess, some bodies. The rats are still eating them. They actually take out the rats, and yeah, the easy on the ammo, dude. Yeah, that's Fuck. what I was thinking. I was like, really? A rat just because it grosses you out? You're going to waste around? Okay, whatever. And, and giving uh, away your position, right? For sure, for sure. And because, and, and actually, Boomer had just busted his balls right before that. I'm like, stop shouting. Stop shouting for help. Like, w- there's probably not anybody here, and why are we going to give our position away? Mm. Um, but, you know, over overlooking them uh, is six. And you're going to have to help me on this guy's name. I never remember his name. Aaron f- Doral. D-O-R-A-L. Doral. He was the fake publicist on, uh, <laughs> before they exposed him as a Cylon. What do you think about their interaction? 
very again i this is the shit i love i love this i want it is the mystery of the show that intrigues me so much of which is saying well this is again the six presenting a more sympathetic view of humanity Mm. that she has of saying well you know technically you know we are children of them so that makes them makes them a kind of parent to us like in a way arguing a little bit of like she's almost the one looking out for them in this scene yeah. In some weird way. And he's the one who, who basically has no time for that. And he's just saying, well, yeah, of course, I guess that's true. But, you know, parents have to die for children to fully you know, develop. Boy. That's his argument. <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah, she's sympathetic. She's good. That's a, yeah. that's a telling line. Yeah. Yeah. That no, lend, absolutely. That, lead, that lends some credence to one of your two theories about her, which was, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if she's play acting or if she really believes it. Sounds like she's pulling his leg now, right? Yes. This one, I think very much so. The Caprica Boomer knows she's a Cylon at this point, for sure. And she is a good actress. <laughs> she's hamming it up. Oh, I saw a dead body. I'm shaking. You know, she's, she's doing that whole routine. And, and she knows what she is. She knows uh, how she's conspiring. What do you think about Six having a empathetic response to the fact that Doral says straight up, the only way for children to come into their own is for their parents to die. I mean, that is a statement that has that that hangs in the air before we oh, cut yeah. back to the Astral Queen. But this this conversation is interesting. Doral's taking this cold approach, but it does have it rings of a a a certain philosophy, a certain well, this is the reality of life. Parents have yeah. to die for children to really come into their own. Almost like he's acknowledging we are their children or he's being cute and just using a human type of philosophy against them. But yeah. then you have on the one hand, on the, and then on the other hand, you have Six saying, boy, well, this is all so sad to me. Love the empty streets, the humans that are yes. gone. They would have destroyed themselves. He, he tries to console her. I mean, well, I think- these are, this is some, this is some godlike conversation. Uh, yeah. And it's revealing. It's very, you know, I think it is enough for me to see now that it's that the Cylon leadership or the Cylon civilization, whatever you want to call it, is not a monolithic, you know, hive mind. Sure. There's differing opinions. They, you know, there are people, there are Cylons with different philosophies about the war, about human humanity, about their place. You know, it's not just one vision. And six, you know, whatever... I think what it's confusing about it is that you see these different sixes and you're like, oh, oh, wait, are they all individuals? No, there is a hive mind aspect to, I guess, the individual Cylon bodies. Like every six we see is the same six. It ha- it's, it's sharing the same mind as sure. all sixes. Um, however, I think among the different models and among other Cylons, there probably are other individual Cylons, they're different minds. And mm-hmm. she has this strangely reverent idea in a way towards humanity and he obviously doesn't he is very much of that mind of nope we are the next level of evolution the next development human beings have to go they're a, we're a relic that we just have to get past yeah um and and yeah so th- i love that this divide has been revealed that there is that it's not a unified front you know i think that's that's what you can walk into this feeling of going oh well, the human beings of course we have all these different you know cultures and politics and all this stuff separating us but oh boy they're just you know they're borg like robots they're just all of the same mind united against us and i don't i think we're getting clues that that's not really 100% the case right that is not the case based on what we've seen so far how yeah. it proceeds we'll have to find out but i do like where your head's at here you know there's a a beautiful irony in this conversation 
uh, between them and a wonderful observation by yourself. And the beautiful irony is, is this. Humans made Cylons to make life easier, Bill Adama says. <laughs> yeah. And it does get easier. But the thing that you made starts to take on a life of its own. And then it becomes its own thing. And suddenly it's not too happy with you for whatever reason. Now, it's fascinating to think that the Cylons evolved so well that they're almost experiencing the same divide, ironically. At yes. least at least philosophically. Obviously, they're not taking up arms against each other, these two. She's just lamenting at how sad it is that we had to annihilate these morons for us to move <laughs> oh, forward. dumb naked monkeys we had to get rid of. It gives more credence to her interactions with Gaius. You, yeah. You realize that there's manipulation there, but maybe some genuine feeling too. And that's what is so interesting about the Cylons. The Borg are an interesting enemy because they're implacable. They are... They are something that literally you, one mind. Literally yeah. one mind. The the Cylons we start to learn are a much deeper adversary, an adversary that we want to know more about. Oh, we God. want to know more about the Cylons as much as we want to watch the crew interact with each other and, and take on their new crises each week. For sure, mm, I ship. Back on the Astral Queen, we see Zarek meeting Lee. Zarek tells Lee that he is fortunate that he's never been in prison. Lee asks Zarek for his men, but Zarek reminds Lee that these men are not his men, but rather your men. You're the master. We're the slaves. This is, nice. this is Zarek's rhetoric. He speaks so passionately. He has a great rhetoric about him. He's smart, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. He, he, in another life, when he's not making pipe bombs and blowing up government buildings— Maybe we would have made it a great senator, yeah, who, <laughs> a good politician. <laughs> right, right. He also tells Zarek that uh, he read his book in college, Lee, I mean, and he says, you know, it made me question some things. So even Lee admits to Zarek that I understand where you're coming from. I know that you have a point of view. I know that I might not necessarily agree with that point of view, but I understand it. And I almost respect it enough to tell you that it made me think about things a little differently when I read it. This is a yeah. powerful statement from Lee. It's very revealing. It engenders trust between him and Tom. And do you think Lee's being honest here? Oh, 100% do. I, I think he really does mean it when he's saying, and I, I think it even goes deeper than that. I think it's not even that he understands his ideas, but you know, just doesn't believe in them. I think he's, I think he does see even credence in his ideas. And ju it just comes down to a thing of methodology of I am not okay with the ethics of how you try to implement these ideas. Right. I'm not okay with your trying, you know, basically to use violence. Um, and, and that's, that's the problem that's hidden for him. But I like that admission now that, that not only did he read his book, you know, he's, you know, and then Zarek goes, Oh, I'm uh, glad to hear it's still popular on campus. And he's like, nah, it wasn't, it was banned. <laughs> I, I right. had to find a way to read it. I still right. did. Uh, that was a cool admission that, you know, it, it, it's, you know, cool that he broke a rule to read that book by him. So I, I believe him. I think that he does. I think Lee finds him an interesting character. I think Lee is somewhat impressed still. Maybe you, you could see it as a little bit naive or, you know, this the, is the young man showing up in him. But I think he's impressed by older men who can carry uh, influence. I think that that comes from having the kind of father he has. Like, I think he automatically has some respect for a man who can you know, engender that much respect among all these people and, and have them moving with him. A lot going on here, no doubt. Oh, yeah. I like how we have, I like how 
This gives you a glimpse into the colonies a little bit, or at least the colony in which Lee resided, right? For sure. Which yeah. is they banned his book. I mean, that's some draconic shit. Well, dra- draconic might be the wrong word. That just means very fierce punishment, I believe, right? Or very like uh, violent, gross punishment. Yeah. That's that's very. I mean, that's an oppressive movement by a governing body. That is a high, high oppression, if you ask me. Yeah. They banned his book because they were and, concerned about the message it was giving. Now and he says the word he uses too. He's like, I, you know, oh, you mean my book, the one that had to be smuggled out of the, you know, my colony because the stumps weren't allowed to you know, have books or have writing. And so it's like, wait a minute. Like, and he refers to themselves as stumps or whatever. But it, I, I was, it got me questioning of like, did they have a colony that was literally just slave labor in mines colony? They didn't mm. let them have books? Like, fuck, that's mm. some crazy shit. Just for clarity, uh, Lee is Capricorn. So he's from Caprica. Yeah. So we know that they're very sophisticated, which makes it even more interesting. Oh, yeah. Definitely that, a class conflict going on here. Right. It's, it's interesting that they would ban his book outright. I mean, that just does not happen. Uh, in most free-thinking societies. No, yeah. Mm. Uh, you've got that. You've got uh, Lee. Here we are again, aren't we? Here we have Lee. Lee's problem is, and it's also his strength. I like that his strength is also his heel. And that's yeah. he can see multiple sides of things. Yes. And he exactly. can make an informed decision off seeing multiple sides of things. This is the whole episode, is it not? We have Lee trying to strike a balance between Adama and Roslyn and himself, and then trying to strike a balance between Zarek and himself. He's, he's always trying to find the middle line here to get this done without any extreme things happening. Exactly. He's talking to Zarek. He's, he's saying, I get it, but do, do you understand that this is the way <laughs> things are going to have to be a little bit different? Unfortunately for Lee, Zarek already has another plan in mind, and that's when we see this man named Seaborn according to the uh, closed captions, clubbing another guy. <laughs> then he hits a yeah. few monitor switches. This is a guard. This is a, yep. a, a the, now what, what appears to be guard. the main guard. Yeah, uh, We see Dean and Billy arguing a little bit. Seaborn throws all the levers and starts to open all the prisoner doors. They end up grabbing weapons. They easily subdue the control room because there's just so many. And then, of course, Lee goes into a melee with some of the prisoners and uh, he Ooh, fights pretty fight. well. He does great. This is this was cool to see Lee in action. Oh yeah, and yeah. I, I love how. I mean, yeah, he's a pilot, but damn, the, his uh, combat training from uh, you know combat boot camp definitely shows. He's still got it. <laughs> yeah, I think the colonial. I think the colonial fleet is very much a uh, a multifaceted uh, efficiency machine in terms of the pilots are tough. They've got training. You know, they're, they're, they're good in the air. They're good on the ground type of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, boom, he gets overwhelmed. Done. He can't, of course, he's just overwhelmed. There's too many. Seaborn oh, yeah. tells Zarek it's all secure, and that's when D tells Billy, hey, stay frosty. We're going to be fine. <laughs> Ooh, it, goes, it, it's imp- it was impressive to me how fast it all went down. I mean, that's, again, speaking to Zarek's influence and his ability. They, they had been planning this before the Cylon attack. That's, that is for sure. I, I have the feeling, you know, that it is not, this is not something that he is just an opportunist of like, oh, well now things are, everything's vulnerable. I have the feeling that this is a long con yes. that has been going on. And this is also just the time to strike. Now he basically says it, you know, I noticed it on my second watch of when, when Lee is down there, he's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to negotiate. I'm not doing that at all. I'm going to bargain. I waited until 
a captain of the fucking colonial fleet was on board. And now yeah. I have something to bargain with. Yep. And so that that's a plan that has been long in the works. And God, is it executed quickly. I mean, it's it's impressive. Yeah, yeah. That's um, the, the, the conversations that follow are, are wonderful. Uh, we do get a brief, a brief stop in on the Galactica. We do see Starbuck passing by guys in the hallway. And he's, he's happy to see her. And she's like, I'm not happy to see you, you dork. And then... Um, that is so the fact that she is lighting a cigar and has sunglasses on is the best fucking part of that scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, whatever loser. Like just right. fucking oh, it's great. And then uh, he wonders if she's a real blonde. <laughs> just being a petty little dick. He is her. just driven to get in that. And then oh, of course Starbucks okay. rolls into the pilot's ready room with her aviator cigar and attitude. And mm-hmm. uh goes right after flat top, coming in too hot, banging up the chief's deck plates. And of course, uh, knowing that that will not make him happy, and she uh, she starts right in on these guys, uh, really playing up the "I'm going to be the cag and debrief you guys." Yeah, well, uh, doing the whole "Oh, I'm look at me, I'm General MacArthur now, I'm the big shot." I'm Lee's the, not here. Uh, yeah, Lee's not here. He's off getting punched in the face and kicked in the head. <laughs> and uh, I'm here, so here's going to happen. I like how Ty enters the ready room and he hangs back again, showing some respect. Yeah. Waits for her to dismiss the pilots. You know, she gets right in Flat Top's face. <laughs> and then she he walks over and he says, listen, a pilot blows his landings and you make a joke out of it? He's <laughs> really beside himself. Starbuck tells Ty that she learned that screaming isn't always the answer. She learned that in office candidate school. Breaks his balls for drinking. And uh, yeah, so the tension continues between these two. Yeah, indeed. Why? Yeah. why what's going on here? Well, I, I think, again, this is another scene, you know, <laughs> a lot of Ty's scenes in the middle of this episode are going around being very frustrated that the military structure and hierarchy is being loosened in this very critical time. And I think this is part of it. He's saying, you know, hey, you're the one in command right now since Lee's not here and you're you're wearing it way too lightly. Like, take it seriously. We're, this is still life and death we're talking about right now. Right. And again, whereas I, I still... Like, it's funny when it, because when it comes to Adama, I'm very much like, you're being too much of a hard ass this time around. You need to learn to to find the middle way that Lee is trying to find. Sure. But when it comes to Thai scenes, I am actually kind of like, I do get his point. I, I, I get it. Like, I feel like, you know, in 33, everybody was drilled tight because of how imminent all these attacks were, how dire everything was. And now, you know, you get a couple days, a couple weeks removed from imminent constant threats and everybody's going back to Bedlam and just loosening up. I see him having that older eye of like, hey, remember when we were all barely surviving and under constant attack? That could happen again anytime. Like, we are not at all out of it. Don't relax. Yeah, an odd position that they all find themselves in because a couple of months ago, they were ready to decommission this thing and they were all going to get reassigned. Yeah, yeah. And it's possible Adama retired and maybe Ty too. And now they're not. And now they're here. And they were running things tight. They had a bad situation. They started to try to tighten up the ship. And now look at them. They're, they're, they're relaxing again. And Ty just ain't having it. He's just not having this bullshit. He wants the crew to tighten up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she, of course, and her calling him on drinking is her you know, rebuttal being like, hey, you're kind of loose. <laughs> That's a little loose for a colonel. It's, it's, but, it's hypocrisy. No doubt. Yeah. You know, no doubt. And I, and I love my tie, but he's, he is, uh, there's uh, this hypocrisy here. Yeah. And yeah. you could argue he's functioning better drinking, but you could also argue that Starbucks reaching these pilots with her approach. So there you go. Yeah. 
So on the actual queen, Lee talks to Zarek and says, uh, you know, they're not going to negotiate with you. And then Zarek doesn't care. He just doesn't want to be treated like an animal. And he's throwing out the woe is me to Lee again. And uh, that's, that's, we're kind of cutting back and forth here. Yeah. This begins a lot of back and forth, pretty much all the way through to the siege. We're cutting pretty equally, yeah. you know, rather quick scenes between the, the Astral and Galactica. And we'll just keep it linear for now to not get confused. And back on the Galactic, guys talks to Adama about his Such art. Such a good scene. Such a good scene. Uh, uh, I love this. James Callis is great in the scene. Edward James is great in the scene. Uh, oh, you know, My favorite thing about the scene, other than six, this is one of the best fucking scenes we've gotten from six in the in whole show so far. I love that. But I love that, uh, you know, Adama does not so much as raise the volume of his voice a single decibel. Absolutely. Not at all. He just, even when it's, you know, I, I love that you know, Gaius is having just a meltdown, basically, in revealing that, no, I don't have a Cylon detector. And, oh, what am I going to do? And Six is getting in his face. Of, like, they're going to fucking kill your ass if you find out. Right. Uh, and I just, you know, his res- Adama's response is just, all right, well, mm-hmm. what's the game plan now? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Hey, fucking Bill, uh, Bill Belichick over here. <laughs> He's just even keeled, <laughs> not here to impress anybody. Just get the job done. What do you need? What's the problem? And he goes go. right after him. You know, he, of course, Gaius is trying his usual tricks, which just don't work on Adama. Mm-hmm. And I love that Six identifies that even before Gaius does. You know, Gaius is, oh, well, of course, you know, what's holding me back because, you know, Adama's In the art, first he tries to, he just He just starts hand jobbing him right away yeah, with the art. Exactly. Oh, I love this art piece. Blah, 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 blah. You have such a wonderful eye. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what's, and, and, and then Adama's he just first says, question. what's the hang up? Where's yeah. my Cylon detector? What's going on? Exactly. Right? Cut the BS. Guy is stammering. Yeah. Gaius literally just stops mid excuse of, well, there's obviously this and a resource issue. And six is the one to go, mm, this isn't going to work on him. He's mm. going to see. Right Here is something that I love about this scene is, is that Gaius says, I don't think I'm the man for the job, which is a big curveball for six. She did not expect this. It surprises her. Exactly. Oh, to see six surprised. That was one thing I wasn't even sure she was capable of. Because like she's that. been directing him so well, oh, totally. and pulling the strings. Like, it, it, especially since you know she's no longer there with him actually physically, and he, she, you know, she's this kind of hallucination in his brain. It gives you that supernatural effect about her. You sure. almost kind of perceive her like uh, some kind of goddess or an angel that is all seeing and all knowing. And this is that reminder of no, she's not. Like she is still uh, an entity like anyone else, a consciousness like any, even a human being. And it's fallible, and she can't predict what's coming. She can't predict Gaius. Now, all of that is correct, but why do you think she had such a strong reaction? Because, you know, her what she says right after that is, you realize if you don't tell him what he needs to hear right now, they are going to find you out, and then they're going to kill you. And she gets to his face, and they're going to tear your head off and throw your body out of an airlock. You yeah, know, yeah. She's she mad at him. on him. And I think that is, uh, and I, I'm not saying this is all of it. This is not 100% of the reason, but at least 50, 60% of the reason is that she, again, is wanting to keep Gaius out of harm. She's trying to protect him. Hmm. In her mind, she is keeping him safe. Right, right. I really think that. So let me ask you a few other questions about the scene because I'm, I'm watching it again. I'm thinking back on it and I was... And you know, and I got to say, ironically, again, you are the all-knowing god of this show to me. You are the fucking demon toying with <laughs> with your ultimate knowledge. But yeah, it's, uh, this scene has always, has always been one of, one of my favorites of these early episodes. 
uh, this dynamic between Gaius and Adama, how his wily charms just do not work on him, cut mm-hmm. against Six trying to keep things on course. Now, let me ask you, Matt, do you think if Gaius just said, I don't think I'm capable of making a Cylon detector, that he would be murdered? No, of course not. Yeah. Right. So, I do. I could imagine Adama being like, Mm, let's look into this guy's credentials or a little bit or keep an eye on him. But yeah, right. I don't think that actually directly leads to a decapitation and being tossed off the ship. Right. Uh, Adamo, uh, Adama watches this theater unfold as he reacts to her and he drops his glass. He still oh, yeah. doesn't, Adama does not break a sweat, doesn't raise an eyebrow. Oh, he just and says, Gaius could not be sweatier and spazzier. You're the last man we have. So what's the game plan, Doc? And that's when Six prompts Gaius to ask for a nuclear fucking warhead. <laughs> I love that Gaius, you know, she's like, you say exactly what I say and starts feeding in the lines. And this is the first time we hear her voice saying something to him in a scene and we don't see her. It's just him standing there with kind of a negative space in the frame next to him where she would be hearing that voice. You say this, Commander, what we need, and he's repeating it. And then when she gets to a nuclear warhead, he's like, a nuclear nuclear yeah, war it's, ex- like, it's excellent oh it's excellent. <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, again i also love the turn on his face when you know and she says you'll you know I, i'm gonna tell you what to say and you pick it up from where you understand and he's just you know repeating repeating and then you see him realize from what she's prompting him with where this is going what he can actually do with a nuclear warhead how he can make a cylon detector by based off of a certain kind of radiation and that's that's what you gleaned from that Yes. You watch him piece piece it together. Yeah. It's yeah, a great watch, scene. I love watching that. Even on his face. That. Oh, it's so kind good. Of contort to, wait a minute, she's right, I can do this. And, and then he's, does, he goes off script from there and starts realizing and actually detailing the kind of detector he can build to Adama. You'll get your warhead. What do you think oh. of that? That, it was good, but also we, we, we learned, you know, I like when we learn hard numbers on this show because that's one thing. You know, numbers like in a show, in a show like Star Trek, um, The Next Generation are kind of irrelevant because, you know, there's an economy behind them. There's a civilization behind them. More can always come. Oh, shit. We have a thing that can just create food from matter in the air. Like there is no concern about resources. But anytime we get the revelation of whatever number they're talking about, I find that really interesting. And he says – we have five warheads on this ship. That's it's, it. It's and interesting he, in a show where resources are finite, and in fact, finite. resources become a lot of the conflicts that the crew faces. So that's why they have to be addressed. That's why if exactly. I'm watching an action movie, I don't get too concerned if they're not changing magazines soon enough. <laughs> if yeah. I'm watching a movie that, that – if I'm watching Saving Private Ryan – Ammunition is is a concern. I want to see the realism of that, right? If I'm watching John Woo, I could give a shit if a guy twirls with double pistols and blows guys away. <laughs> I like that just as much, right? Just it's yeah, a different. Thank God, type. there's 600 rounds to a mag. <laughs> that's just a different type of enjoyment for me, and that's you know, Star Trek is a good example of resources just not being finite unless they find themselves in a pickle where they are. This is the thrust of the show: is is that. We don't have resources. We see it in the scene where Adam pours water back into back the container. In. Oh, that's so. That was so great. Good. Touch. Like uh, exactly. Again, I love. There is such a, a unity of like visual and you know dialogue choices that paint this really vivid picture. And that was a perfect little punctuation on that scene. Of yeah, I'm not even finishing this fucking glass of water. So when I say to you, we only have five warheads left, and we may need them. But I'm going to give you one. Take that with the appropriate amount of weight. 
Right. Nestled between this dialogue is a look in on the Astral Queen, and we see Zarek and Lee talking. And Zarek is observing Lee, and he quickly deduces that Rosalind and Adama don't get along. And that I is that. slick. So oh, this yeah. guy immediately sees that there is a break in the armor, if you will. And he thinks, hmm. And he gets it from one line uh, from, from Lee. He, you know, he says, oh, so your daddy, you might, that must have given you a nice fast yes. track to being the president's yes. advisor. And he goes, uh, you, and he's like, not at all. And he goes, oh, so they don't get along, like immediately right. is able to deduce. <laughs> and Lee Lee sees that and he's like, fuck, let me throw some water on let me throw some water <laughs> nah, on this. Yeah, and he's like, like oh, well shit, when it comes to smart. Right. When it comes to talking about terrorists, they don't get along. But otherwise they're tip top. Uh, otherwise <laughs> you're facing a very unified foe, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> Morale good. couldn't be higher. <laughs> there are water riots. What are you talking about? Oh God, it's so hot in here. <laughs> Why are we taking prisoners to do labor? Because we're doing fine. Because we've got plenty of people. They're all on vacation. Right. Oh, that's good. Uh, on the Galactica, the chief consoles Galactica Boomer. Uh, he says, listen, don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. The Master at Arms has found nothing. The Master at Arms, you've heard that twice. Mm-hmm. Boy, I tell you, looking forward to meeting that character. <laughs> on the trail. Uh, fuck you. You know something I don't. You <laughs> I know so many things you don't. Uh, uh, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And that's when, of course, Ty walks in and we've already addressed this. Put a stop to it. That's an Put order. Put a stop. Yeah. On the CIC, we hear Zarek over the mic. The crew are our prisoners. They will not be harmed. But I have mm-hmm. two conditions. First, the government is illegal and illegitimate and it must submit to the will of the people. Second, I demand free and open elections. I'm Tom Zarek and this is the first day of the new era. Oof. And you see, and this is the moment where, you know, so far I'm thinking, wow, this is an intimidating guy, an intimidating enemy. He's obviously very smart and he's very coordinated. You know, he's got a lot of clout and influence. You know, even Rosalind knows that. She knows his name. She knows about all this. And, she's, and I like that in this next scene, we'll get to it, uh, of her saying, don't dismiss him. Like, don't wave this off as, ah, nobody's going to give a shit about him. She's like, people will. Yes. Um, I like that a lot. But um, a bit of a reveal here for Zarek, right? Yes. To say, I'm Tom Zarek. This is the first day of the new era. That is a, you're filleting yourself a little. I mean, in my, in my opinion, that is you, you played a card a little early. This, there's, there's a lot of you in this movement. It's not, it's (laughs) not all self-righteous. It's not all, well, it is exactly self-righteous, but it's not all this ethical chase here after. There is a bit of an ego-driven thing For here sure. to say it the way you said it. And yes, it, it, right on the back of this is Rosalind being pretty upset. Do not take this man lightly. Rebellions are contagious. Yes. And then I like she that, says, that. Oh. when are you going in? Yeah, yeah. No. In other words. Surprisingly reversing course. Dust this fuck. Dust him. Yeah. I and mean, then, that's, that's a... Oh. That that's when we opened this episode, you said to me, you said, Hey, Adama was kind of like bit a bit, and I wanted to riff on that. I wanted to get in there and lay a solo down. And that's and that's and this is what I'm seeing here. The two of them are their song's a little different this week. And uh, yeah. I like that she is really not interested in negotiating. Uh she she recalls this man being pardoned by the prior president, Adar. And he said, No, I'm well, that, not interested. And the reason she said that they yeah, her former president offered him a full pardon and you can just walk if he would just Cut renounce the violence. using violence. And he said, 
no. No. And that that is pretty strong. That is something that makes you wonder about a person. But sure. And I, I don't want to jump to you know, there's a really great line from Zarek later in the episode that I want to get to, but not right now. But again, though, and, and I, I, the thing that bugged me about Zarek in the scene where I go, oh, I, I get it now. When he's you know saying, oh, the, the government's illegal. We need elections. This isn't the real president. I'm like rolling my eyes. I'm like, okay, so Lyndon Johnson wasn't the real president after JFK was assassinated. I mean, like, sure. look, I mean, it is a standard fare for a democracy is to have a, a line of of people to to replace the president in a time of crisis. And this is so obviously a crisis that I was like, what a hollow political move to try and pretend sure. like this president isn't that the real one we need an election and it's like this is not the time like right. <laughs> come on that's silly the thing about a guy like zarek though is is that he knows that you know he's calling for elections and all this shit we'll get to that but zarek is knows that he's smart enough to sway people not smart enough to think about it deeply <laughs> you, exactly. like like a lot of these demagogues they have the ability to realize that the audience they're speaking to you might not be smart enough to cut. They might just be like, yeah, motherfucker, right? That's, yeah. he's, he's a rabble rouser. He's, he's trying to play on the backs of the emotional crisis that these people find themselves in. He's, I don't got to paint smart. the picture. Just hand them the frame. Just put, a, put up a nice frame. That's all Yes. It is. This is cut immediately with Starbuck briefing Ty and Adama on an assault plan. <laughs> yeah, that, that action, you know, I do like that between Adama and Rosalind. They were able to agree to that real quick <laughs> real quick let's put together a strike team and make this happen here's what i like about the assembling of the strike team is is that it reveals certain things about our characters it might not seem obvious at first but having the pleasure of seeing this a few times matthew <laughs> i started to think about this this time around and i've missed it for all these years and i thought i found myself pondering the character of starbuck lee and starbuck seem almost similar in their in their expertise in their sway she's a great pilot better than him uh, she has uh, a way about her. She's a she bucks authority. She plays by her own rules. She's effective, but she's a bit of a loose cannon. She's also a smart girl. She's a smart young woman, yeah. and she's oh, yeah. very she's by all accounts and purposes a free young woman in her behavior. She doesn't seek approval from anyone. She is her own person, a strong character. Yeah, but you know what I like about her? She is a warrior through and through. Lee yeah. Apollo is not. Is, no, absolutely not. And that's what I like about the dynamic between these two characters is that Starbuck has no interest in understanding the political ramifications here. She has <laughs> yeah. zero interest in trying to determine what the ethical standpoint is. Mm-hmm. She Just could get out of the way shit. of a heretical. <laughs> Are we, is this guy an enemy? Great. Here's the strike plan to annihilate him and his friends in a hail of gunfire. <laughs> exactly. I don't care. I like yeah. that. And that's the difference between her and Lee. Lee is very much a thinker. He's very much a philosophical man. A man who is, well, wait a second. I understand this guy. I've read his goddamn book. I don't want to just mm-hmm. blow him away. I get this guy a little bit. This guy made me think about things a little different. Yeah, I was in college, whatever, you know, smoked a little weed, banged a few hooas. <laughs> but you know what? I, I understand him a little uh, bit. Whereas Starbuck is a warrior. I'm here yeah, because I done. am a warrior and I, I'm ready. Here's the assault you, you plan. You point her toward an opposing force and she opposes it. And, <laughs> and, she, and, it. and she is a, a, a righteous nemesis. That's that. Yeah. Exactly. So it's cool. I like that a lot because it's not like she couldn't weigh in on that. She has no interest in weighing in on that. 
And you can tell that Adama, you know, his shine for her is that that's a big part of it. 100%. You know, his, his instructions are, you know, you get a clear shot on Zarek, you fucking take it. Like, that's you it. don't don't wait for approval. Don't wait for somebody to give you a hand. So no, you get a shot on him, take it. Do it. Yeah. Don't operational command is in your hands. Weapons free, girl. Yeah. Make it happen. Know. Right? Good hunting. Done and done. On the Astral Queen... D, uh, Jesus, D and Billy continue to talk. D's in high spirits. Billy's nervous. You know, she's military trained. She's like, ah, we're going to be fine. He's like, yeah. boy, I don't know. And then, of, and then, of course, Mr. Creepshow starts in oh, on yeah. Callie. Uh, you God. know, you, 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 she's like, no, no, I'm just saying I'm tired. You don't know what tired <laughs> is. That is a great line. It when is she line. smiles and she's like, right, you instantly have to think of 33, right? <laughs> How they stayed up for 200 and something hours. She's like, oh, really? Fighting. I don't know what tired is. Oh, interesting. She, she just kind of laughs and he's like, are you mocking me? And he's one of these guys who just wants to dominate and, of course, rape her. That's Oh, yeah. He just wants to dominate this poor young girl. You will respect me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you will respect me and my micro penis. Oh, brutal. <laughs> who knows? He might have a hog on him. Yeah. <laughs> so on the Galactica tie bid Starbuck good hunting. I like that. I like her seeing seeing Starbuck off with the Marines. And uh, you know, this is this is uh, I call this movie shit. Starbuck running the Marine team. She's a pilot. Whatever. Starbuck's a yeah. warrior. We've established that, right? Yeah. These are yeah, her, no, these yeah. are quote unquote heroic characters like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> exactly. These are your hero characters. Keep hero them safe characters. in your world of Warcraft. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, on the actual queen, we get some good stuff here. Did you vote for Laura Roslin? Did you, Matthew? The yeah, answer is that no one did, Matthew. I'm going to answer for you. We need to be free, men and women. If we aren't free, then we're no different than the Cylons. Zarek speaks yeah. emphatically. All or nothing talk. That's a big thing of him here, too. <laughs> and very much. And, like, it's, again, one of those things, like we were saying, like, that idea doesn't stand up to scrutiny. It's like, yeah, no, nobody did have time to vote when we were being attacked and annihilated by a, a massive enemy and we just have to act. You know, yes. that's one of those times where it's like in situations like that, it almost pays off to have a country that's run by a dictator that's making decisions quickly and instantly to make this stuff, you know, to, to batten down the hatches and survive. But yeah, of course. You know, he, he's really a, presenting a, a bit of a false dichotomy. Yes, here, exactly. Right? He, he's, he's shading it in a very particular way to it, try and, and change his thoughts. This is politics 101. Oh, big it, This is politics 101. And every politician has done this throughout history. You're either with us or against us. There is no plan C. There is only the government's illegitimate and we need to change it now. Right? Exactly. That's, that's yeah, the way. It can't wait. That's yeah. his philosophy. It can't wait. Regardless of the fact that we got a fleet out here, regardless of the fact that we need a way to direct these trained military personnel to protect our asses, because let's face it, I'm not going to do it over here with my uh, little pistol while I'm stuck on a prison ship. If the Cylons show up, we need an organized force to repel them. And Zarek, this is what I like about Zarek. I think he knows he's full of shit a little bit, but he's hmm. still using it to gain favor. We've already yeah. said that this is very much an ego-driven move on a, on a one sense. You don't write a book that sways a guy like Lee and not have some conviction. Yeah. But then on yeah. the other hand, you also have to be <laughs> – the way you talk about these things, you start to see some of the – he's not so clever, I guess is my point. You start to read him a little bit. He's starting to give you some tells at the poker table where you say, ah, I see what you're doing here. They call you Apollo. Apollo is one of the gods, god of the hunt, but also a god of healing. And that's when he brings up this, can you be both? That's great. Yeah. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Of you know, you're trying to do something that ancient gods were able to do, and man is you know, it, it's impossible for us to right. do, and, the, and making it impossible. A mortal has to pick one side or the other. Here's another man telling him to pick sides. Mm-hmm. You got this guy telling him. You got his father telling him. You got Rosalind kind of telling him, but not really. Yeah, no, Rosalind's the one who's like not is trying to kind of extend the branch for him to like you don't have to pick a side. Right. I just want to work. You know, she is definitely the one trying to be a little more of a unifier out of the three. Sure. So Gata contacts the Astral Queen. Zarek oh, and Adama I do, talk. I, I, was, I got to say, was it this scene? I can't remember if it was this scene or another one. that's a little bit later. But when he's Probably talking later, because this is I, right on the heels of that. Oh well, I, it's the line that Zarek has. You know, basically when when Lee is saying that he has a problem with his methods, you know, because he uses violence and, and, you know, Zarek's retorts like, yeah, it's always better when the oppressed don't fight back, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a fucking great line. That's my favorite line from Sure. Sure. You know, because that has been our, our main moral way of saying, well, Zarek obviously still is on the, the wrong side. This is definitely, you can't side with him because of the violence aspect. But when you think about, again, only we have a little bit of teases about what the situation really looks like. But from the teases about uh, what their society and what their colony that Zarek comes from looks like, you kind of can't blame them mm-hmm. when you start thinking about violence and uh, versus oppression. The, the problem with Zarek's philosophy about freedom is, is that he's, not, he's really misappropriating the word, another classic political move. And he's he's saying that we're we're going to be free men. We're going to be free in, in in everything else. And if you're a free man who respects the free, who if you're if you're a free man and you respect the freedom, if you're if you're somebody who is into freedom, presumably you respect the freedom of other men. And in this yeah. case, he's not doing that here. Zarek is not. And and I'm going to tell you where he slips up because the guy in the cell who goes after Callie is not being the way a free man should be. He's infringing <laughs> the freedom. He's infringing on, on the freedom of Callie to fucking live and prosper. He's, he, she, he is physically assaulting her on Zarek's watch. Zarek, you can't preach freedom and then have this girl get assaulted and shot. That's, yeah. that's the antithesis of freedom. It is everything against freedom by going after this young girl and you allowing it to happen, right? You, you, if you're going to rouse these guys up, they need to respect everyone else's freedom too, or or, or no one's going to listen. And that's the thing here. These guys, Lee makes a gesture. He opens the gate. Zarek gets out and says, we're not going to work. Fine. Okay, great. We can still <laughs> talk. Oh, you're going to pull guns and grab us, and yeah. you're going to threaten our lives. And now Lee's even talking to you, and you've calmed down. You've got this face-to-face. They respect each other suddenly, but Zarek already had this plan in motion. And now you got this other guy fucking off. You know what? Here comes a strike team. We're going to kill every one of you. <laughs> Because <laughs> this is not how we're going to negotiate. We'll kill every fucking one of you slobs. There you go. And that's it. And that's, you know, he can say free, we're going to be free, and this, we're going to elect people, and it's going to be great, we're going to have a fucking paradise. Meanwhile, you got yeah. a guy assaulting Callie in another cell because you let the guy out and gave him a gun. There you go. You're losing an argument here, Sarah. You're not being consistent, and that's the problem. You, you, if you want to make these ethical if you want to throw these ethics out there and you're not going to stay consistent in your own approach, then you're not going to have the respect of people and you're going to get yourself killed when you start to assault other people, especially people who have friends who are trained to kill people. And see, and, and there is even, you know, I can still, the, the side that I can see from Zarek's eyes is if these are not just prisoners, but, you know, people who from like his colony who have just been basically, I guess, oppressed for a long time. Like that's just the way things are. And now they're also prisoners on this ship that maybe you do have to have a sort of violence in your initial 
hey, this is how I get the fucking microphone. This is how we, I need to, to you know, wrench control from you guys and make you pay attention. But the thing is, is that he continues on with that in the, I'm not going to negotiate and I'm going to hold them hostage and I'm going to do this. Whereas if he could have, if you overtake them and you get, you guys become in charge and you get a hold of the mic and you get in touch with Battlestar, you, what you should be trying to do is open that channel of communication and not try to shut it down, which he basically does. Right. And, and you know, this is where, this is, this is where we are so fucked up as, as monkeys who can barely fucking function. And it's in this, you know, (laughs) Uh, yeah, I got to make a splash. I got to use some kind of violence, and and I say, you know what? If you need to, if you if you need to use violence to make your point, direct violence against your oppressors. Callie's not your oppressor, exactly. And the problem is, is that when you allow that to happen, what's happening is, is that Callie has a brother somewhere, or a friend somewhere, or a father somewhere, or the mother somewhere who has nothing to do with your oppression, and now you've taken her from them, and now they're coming after you, and it just never fucking ends. And that's, that's the fucking problem with the whole thing. And, uh, you know, obviously Zarek didn't want harm to come to Cali. He didn't want that to happen, but you know what? Control it's your guys. Kind of, that's control that's your guys. Atmos- yeah. That's the atmosphere of, uh, of that you've built up. That you've e- been exactly. Of. You've created an, a violent atmosphere and now violence will, will be the result of that. The byproduct of your violence, violence begets violence. There you go. So Gator contacts them and says, listen, Here's the Dama. Here's the, here's the old man. The old man jumps on. People are unharmed. He wants to find out. I'm glad no one's hurt. That would have tragic consequences. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he says that in the most like, as if like, oh, that, oh he's so threatening thankful. Him. But he's really just like, that would have yeah. real bad consequences for your yeah. ass. <laughs> so Zarek uh, blatantly asks, how long before they breach the ship? I like this. I like that he knows that the strike team has already been sent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, you, they're coming as we're speaking. Right. We know it. <laughs> These negotiations are very brief. We get an external look at the Raptor attaching to the Astral Queen. So fucking cool. I love that. Outstanding. Flip upside down. They press. They, you know, they, uh, we got a soft lock. And then they get their blow torches out and straight cut through the hull of the ship. Ah, oh, it's fucking great. One of the mo- one, so one of the, the thing that gets me so one of the most boner inducing things in science fiction <laughs> is is when you have a small craft attaching to a larger craft, cutting into that craft and boarding it with soldiers. Hell, yeah. I just love that. <laughs> I love I love in Star Trek when when Borg beam onto a ship or the the shields are down, the Klingons beam on, and you're like, damn, here we go. We're gonna mix it up now, get into yeah. some hand to hand shit. Oh hell yeah! Or when you know, even in the in the you know your your uh, Victorian age vessels and earlier there, where you got guys swinging across, or they hit the grappling hooks and they board the enemy vessel and they get out oh. the cutlasses and the muskets. Oh, it's excellent! Such a good tension builder. It's like yes. yeah, you know what's coming. Yes, uh, Mister Creepshow goes into Callie's cell. I don't <laughs> think I have your respect. He's getting really rapey. Of course, Billy speaks up, puts a gun on him. He asks what's going on, but Miss Creepshow just walks her out. Billy screaming for Captain Adama, and then of course Lee and Zarek talk, and Lee realizes, "Hold on a second here. You want them to storm the ship, which is what we've been saying the whole time. Mm-hmm. You it's want a, a thing of ego." Tom Zarek has been out of the news. Now he has a chance to go out in a blaze of glory, and he sort of calls Zarek on this. So now you start to think: Is Zarek a man who spent so much time in prison? has realized he's at the end, is deciding that I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory so I am remembered historically. Does he, is he interested in reform or does he just want to die? I think there is something, you know, the way he says it, you know, Zarek's, you know, he's like basically saying, well, yeah, they're going to come on here. It shows, 
he basically plays his hand as far as his actual views, not just of himself, but of government. He thinks sure. they are so awful that they are going to come on here, kill every single prisoner and hostage alike, he says. And the, you know, the rest of the fleet will never forgive them. The government will collapse and they'll have to start a new one. So in his mind, he still thinks that will be it is enough of a propelling action to make the government collapse and he'll still – you know, oh, oh, it'll live on past me, you know, the reforms that will come. But it just really shows how out of touch he is to think that they're so fucking awful they would come on and literally slaughter everyone. Yep. Like, that's a crazy thing. That's that's never going to actually happen. He was, he was a, uh, for 20 years he's been in prison. So that'll tell you something. I mean, yeah. 20 years at this point. He was a political activist for more than 30 years before the fall and uh, he was charismatic, eloquent, ideological, and uh, he blew up a building on Sagittarion, which is what happened. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's in his biography, it says a little bit about how he came from Sagittarion, a colony known to be mistreated by the other 11. Uh, mm. And uh, he became an advocate of freedom from slavery, proclaimed himself a voice for the disenfranchised, and along with publishing a book that was virtually banned throughout all colonies. How about that? Good Lord, yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I think if you're thinking in the modern sense, maybe the chances of them murdering everyone's slim, but maybe in this harsh colonial world where they ban books and, you know, they have a, they have one colony really getting shit on by the others, maybe he doesn't think it's an impossibility or maybe he just realizes, look, humanity's at an end. They ain't got time to deal with this shit. My reform's never going to happen. I'm fucked. Yeah. So I'm and just And maybe that is the level of violence that he saw on his own colony. Maybe, it's possible. You know, it might be that even other even though he, you know, leaves in the military, but he was not in the military patrolling and, and keeping the iron fist down on Sagittarius. So, I mean, could have been local shit. authorities. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe right? he's not even really aware of how actually bad there was. I'm, I'm sure there's canon on all of that out there. I just I just don't want to get into it entirely. I just wanted to read you that passage. But yeah, yeah. we got to save that for our Caprica podcast. <laughs> We're going to announce it right here. No, just kidding. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> don't hold us to that. We still got 60 something to go on this one. <laughs> <laughs> So we see Starbuck and her Marines moving through the Queen. Zarek admits the entire government's going to collapse, referring to the coming massacre, right? Mm-hmm. And Lee's like, oh, it's all about Tom Zarek and his personal death wish. And then, of course, we see that Kelly's been shot. Starbuck and her team start moving in and just start taking guys out on the perimeter because at this point, they heard a gunshot. They start moving. She says they're killing hostages. Let's go. Yep. And that's, yep. They start moving with a sinister grace. Of course, yeah. uh, Tom blames Lee. And uh, the creep show screams at Callie. Lee manages to disarm a man and so blow good. Mr. Creepshow away. Woo, that glorious. is glorious. Oh, so glorious. Yeah. Just, I love how he just takes that other guard out right out of his hand and just offs him. Boom. Yep. And uh, he's, he, he starts to call Tom on his bluff, doesn't he? Tom doesn't want to die so much, does he? Yeah. <laughs> this is what you're going to do, Tom. You're going to tell your men to help us get the water off the moon. They are going to get their points, and they are going to get their elections. You're right, Tom. You're right about democracy. You can have it or this bullet, your call. So good. Mm. Ah, this is, like I said at the top, this is my favorite scene. The fact that, again, this is, this is the kind of character that Lee is. He is the person who's trying to find the middle path and negotiate it without being ideologically rigid and, and being definitive in everything, you know, okay with the ambiguity. 
Yet, when a when a moment, you know, a singular moment arises where there needs to just be definitive action, he'll do it. He'll take it. Like, that's what I admire and like about his character the most that we've seen so far. That, hey, if action needs to be taken, he'll absolutely do it. But all the way leading up until that, he'll be trying to propose and find ways to avoid the violence. Indeed. God of the hunt and God of healing, huh? He has this duality to him. It's good stuff. Yeah, I like I like your I like your observation here. I do like that he does do that, and I do like that Lee knows his audience. You know, he's been he's been debating Zarek, and Lee seems to be a fine debater. And I think he's seeing a lot of the logical fallacy that Tom's throwing around, and he's realizing that this isn't going to work out. A B Kelly's wounded, and now things have changed. The, the rules have changed. You've yeah. wounded one of us. She could be dying. I mean, it looks bad. Yeah. yeah and bad. Uh, you know what? Here's a language I know you understand, bitch. And he changes gears with a quickness. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. And of course, this whole time, Starbuck had her rifle on him because as we learned back at the ship, she's the only person who's a true marksman sniper. And that's why they agreed to let her go down. And she has had you know, her sights on Zarek the whole time. But no uh, clean you know, shot, though. Yeah, because Lee was standing in the way. Right. They, you know, Lee takes out the guy, they step into the cell, and then she gets a real clean shot on uh, Zarek's forehead. But Lee steps in and keeps him from getting Starbucked, uh, right. you know, right at the last second there. Yep. The standoff ends and Zarek cries. I like his reaction here. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, he, what, a, what, an, what an interesting man. What a man with, this is, this is not a sociopath. You don't. No. Yeah, there's doesn't depth seem to there. be. There's depth here. So back on the Colonial One, we have a wonderful scene, right? Adama and Rosin are very pissed at Lee. We get, we get the middle of this conversation, which we already heard. It's unacceptable. It's done. It's their ship. They've been disarmed, and they get into this whole thing where he's like, with respect, Rosalind, I'm just committing you to obeying the law. Yeah. What there a sentence. Go. What a sentence to throw in her face because that's her, that's her move. Her move <laughs> is, telling, is, telling, uh, is telling Bill Adama, I'm the president, here's the order, follow it, i.e., follow the law. Yeah. And now she's trying to circumvent that law a little bit, isn't she? Yeah, a little bit. Definitely there. I what think you, there's a part you, of- t- Tell me about what you think here with her. Do, do, you, do, you, do oh. you think that, I mean, give me your, some analysis on, on yeah. what she's feeling at this point. Well, I think there was definitely – there's no part of her that was like a corrupt kind of person who was like, and once I'm in a fucking office, I'm going to seize all power and be always permanent president. You know, I don't think that was there, but I certainly don't think she had the thought of an election even in the back of her mind. I, I don't think that was – you know, I think in a way she probably was – you know, I could imagine her forgetting that she was sworn in uh, on Adar's term and just thinking, okay, well, I'm president for – a full term and this is what I need to do and just getting to work. And, you know, it's just a, a good strong reminder by Lee of like, Hey, you're, you're filling out a dead person's term. This is not, you <laughs> didn't win the presidency. You know, you were sworn in in a time of crisis. And after this president, you know, this term is over, it is time. And, and I think I, I have, you know, she admires him and she says in the end, you know, I admire you for that. You, you put the law right in front of me and it's the truth. It is the law. And, and that's, it's right. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Um, I also think that um, part of me wonders, like, does she, what, is there, a, is there any kind of fear here for, for her relevancy? I mean, getting into an election, part of me thinks, does she think she can win one? I mean, she's 
I also think I think she's constantly worried about how long she's gonna be around. <laughs> is ah. the other side of it too? Like, how soon is she gonna kick it? Is she gonna even make it through a full term, or or if she you know makes it through that term? Doesn't she want to continue being president? It's the last of her legacy. Does she fill out seven months, then lose the election, and then die, you know, a no one? Like, I, I, have, a, I have a feeling that legacy is involved there as well. What do you think's keeping her from, from doing it outside of the law? I mean, do you think that she believes that this is going to help her, you know, do that whole, I have a purpose in life? therefore I can overcome these diseases. It's not like I don't have a purpose and I die quick kind of thing. Do you think that there's, do you think somehow that she believes her very survival is tied into the fact that she's taking on this role as president? Like, no, I still have unfinished work. You know, that whole thing. Mm, well, Dean, should I? <laughs> I'm asking. Uh, I mean, I'm asking if you think that that might be motivating her. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, that could certainly be a part of it. And I do, for, for whatever reason, I have this feeling that, she cares about I, – I, it's almost like I think she imagines her death more imminent than it might even actually be. Like for all we know, sure. she might actually have years left in her, maybe five, six years, a decade. But I think in her mind, she was so – the way that we were presented, to go all the way back to the first episode, the way we're presented with her diagnosis is like uh, deafening. You Bad know, news. All the sound goes out Bad of the room. It, you know, she takes it. It's funny. She take. I think she takes it very poorly. She takes it in stride. She puts on a, a good front because hey, she's a politician. Um, but I think it devastates her. Really, really mm-hmm. devastates her. She's not comfortable with it. And I think her being president gives her this. I think she's also living out this whole. This is the last thing I'm going to do. Any yes. day is my last day, and I want to put out this legacy that I was a good president that helped lead us through it. Uh, I love and, it. And I love I think, your observation. I love. I love the use of the word legacy here. I think that that's uh, uh, really slick. I like it a lot. Yeah, because she also she she doesn't have kids, does she? I was trying to remember that. Did they say she had children or not? Ooh, I don't recall. I don't I think feel, she I, did. See, yeah, and I think that's for whatever reason. I feel like there's a, a theme in this show that is starting to slowly get bigger as it moves about parents and children and legacy, and mm-hmm. also you know being the last human beings or not. You know, she was so elated by that news of the the first newborn among the fleet, and there's a lot here where I feel like you know she's she's a a, a woman with no children and and wants to have this legacy about being able to help the rest of the, the surviving human race, and I think that's a big part of it. Right? Yeah, I like it. I like your style, baby. And I do think one thing we've got to say. I think we kind of move past pretty quickly. What a fucking bold move by Lee to straight up give control of the ship to them. I mean, you know, it says we disarm them. You know, they don't have any weapons anymore. And, you know, Adama is like, their ship's a weapon. They could just kamikaze us, you know. Yes, but, yes. Um, but, you know, he goes to say, he's like, they depend on us for everything. You know, we're still in a position of power with them. But uh, I like that he gives them control. That's that's a bold, bold I, I like that. I like that move a lot, and I like his reasoning behind it. And it's reasoning I, I say all the time when people are like, if, if we didn't have 975,000 laws for a small business, they'd fuck people out of money all the time. And I'm like, really? Because they're interested in fucking over customers and going out of business, right? It's the, <laughs> yeah. same, it's the same philosophy here. He's like, they need us or they are dead. Why do they want to fuck us? Right, yeah, not at this point. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to open up a business and fuck everybody because then it word gets around on social media, and then I go, hmm, nobody comes here anymore. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Some fucking idiot doesn't want to make a cake for a gay couple. Guess who's not going to shop there? Me, and I'm going to hear about it on fucking social media. <laughs> there you go. Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> so um, yeah, on the Galactica, uh, we see Ty 
with Starbuck in Ty's quarters. She brings yeah. some water. This is an endearing gesture by Starbuck, a rare moment in the Starbuck character's, uh, 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 what, activity up to this point, know, up to her For character sure. life in this point in the series. I have yeah. my flaws too. And Ty yeah. just says, my flaws are personal. Yours are professional. And she like uh, gags on the water. She's like, what? Are you kidding me? Thank you. <laughs> and then he just dismisses her. Thank you, Lieutenant. That'll be all. And she exits. Failed. Mm-hmm. Boy. I like that. I like that a lot. And because, for one, I still think that Ty recognizes in her what she's trying to do. Uh, what do you think but, she's trying to do? You know, extend the olive branch. Be like, okay, look, you know, I'm not trying to you know, from Starbuck anyways, you know, not trying to undermine you as a commander or say that you're wrong, you know, all the time or whatever. You know, we each have our own flaws, but we're both, you know, still doing our jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like, you know, Ty's observation. It is one that I have actually kind of thought myself before of, you know, he drinks. Yeah. And people know about it and people are, oh boy, are the alcoholics on board. But the guy has always done his job. Mm-hmm. There's not too much you can question about, you know, his activity. And it is very much out of deep personal reasons. You know, he lost his wife. He's kind of a sad, lonely, broken man, still doing his job. And, hey, he drinks every now and then. And with, you know, with Starbuck, it is like your personal flaw, you know, your flaws or whatever being professional are in combat in, you know, you know, dangerous situations where lives are actually on the line and you're gunning people down. Maybe that is a little more, not saying one is worse than the other, but they are certainly different. You know, I, I feel like Ty has his drinking problem very much under his own belt. It's not spiraling out of control. Do you think if he accepted this and decided to try to bury the hatchet with her, that he'd be somehow condoning her continued? Do you, do you like, what? why do you think Ty elected not to? Do you think he's for... Do you, do you believe that he thinks if I bury the hatchet with this woman, she's going to never change and continue to act the way she acts? Do, do you, like, why do you suppose yeah. he elected to? Is he, is he just being Thai? Is he being, if the crew don't hate the XO, he's not doing his job? Do, do you think it's that? <laughs> what do you, why do you think he decided at this point not to bury the hatchet with Starbuck? I think it's still like I, I'm glad you said it the way you did earlier. You know, I think it's a hierarchical issue. I think he sees that as the mechanism by which they survive this. Of you, yeah, you're trying to you know extend the olive branch to me, but I'm still not condoning this whole putting on fucking sunglasses, okay. smoking a cigar, okay. being a silly person. Like okay. you need to keep your shit together and hit the way. Like again, the way he says that is my flaws are basically kept to my room. They're mm-hmm. personal. Yeah, I drink a little bit sometimes, but it, nobody sees me fucking drink. Nobody sees me drunk, you know, and, and that's really that. With you, you're out there flaunting these flaws in front of everybody when we need to be professional. Yeah. And that, to him, you know, you might argue that that's not really that big of a deal, and maybe it isn't, but to him, to Colonel Ty, it is. Right. And where does it end? You let people start fucking off in the pilot ready room. Where does it end? There you go. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he does have, uh, I think he is trying to maintain this sense of hierarchical integrity without maybe bearing in the hatchet here does condone her activity thus far. And he just doesn't want to do that. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe that's a good observation by you. So the chief goes to look for Callie. I like that. It's cute. You know, yeah, look who's uh, laying around getting look days who's off. Lazy full of bullets. Yeah. It's all lazy full of bullets over here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's lucky. That's all I bit off. She's cute. Yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, we close out on the Colonial One. Uh, in seven months, for what it's worth, you'll have my vote. I love that Lee says this to her. Yeah. I mean, no, what, a, fantastic. what a ringing endorsement 
from a young man who's shown he's a competent and smart guy. When a guy like Lee tells you he's voting for you, it's it's got to make her feel good because you understand how principled and measured this man is. Yeah, and, uh, and it's such a it's such a matter of respect. And such a huge matter of respect. He's there saying that look, look, I'm trying to uphold the law, but I respect you as a person and as a president. You know, it's not like I'm I'm saying, oh, you're doing a shoddy job, and I want to get the next person in. It's just saying we do. You know, Zarek has a point, and in order for us to wield with legitimacy, you know, the law. We need to obey it. Zarek has a point. Mm. There we are. That's quite the <laughs> statement you've made, and I like it because it's a great, succinct way to think about the character in general. He isn't just a whatever. He does have a point, and he's yeah. still around. And hmm. Mm. So Rosalind <laughs> breaks the news about her cancer. I found out the morning of the attack whether or not I survive. It's important that these people feel they have a future. Yeah. Do not want to extinguish hope, she puts it as. Awesome. Which I like that. Yeah. What a burden, like though. Now she feels responsible for these people's hope. Yeah, yeah she, that's true. She sees herself as this guiding force that if she withers away in front of them, that it will destroy all morale. And uh, maybe that's a little bit of a look into why elections now just won't work. You don't want people going, we're, we're barely alive here. What the fuck are we doing having elections? Can we have a political campaign right now? As we're, as we're frequently, <laughs> exactly. you know, spooling up the FTLs and escaping Cylon base stars with hordes of raiders. I mean, is this the time? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. See, and that's, ugh, that's a tough call. You can count on me. I know I can. You're Captain Apollo. Nice, quiet ending to this episode. I did not see that coming. That was, that was a cool, you know, we've had a lot of like cliffhanger, you know, the episode right before this on that zooming in onto the Cylon boomer's face and the intense music. I really like this intimate little quiet ending here. I like it a lot too. Why use his name? Wait, when she says Captain Apollo. Yeah, I know I I know I know I can, in other words, count on you, because you're Captain Apollo. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean I think she's it's the same way that Zarek was using it. It's Ah. that throwback to mythology of like, you know, you you do shoulder this name and and I believe you're carrying it. Awesome. Great shit. Good shit. So thus concludes the episode. The credits creep in quietly, as you've suggested. And uh, that's it. So what we're going to do now is we're going to move into our trivia questions that I have for you this week. And we are going to then wrap with a few final thoughts. How's that sound, Mr. Anderson? Beautiful. Excellent. Here's how we're going to do it this week. You ready? I'm ready. We're going to go true or false. Ooh, okay. Regarding next week's episode. First... President Roslin's cancer takes a sudden turn for the worse. Ooh, okay. How about you ask me all the questions and then I'll answer them each one by one? Nope. Nope. Nope, because s- I know what you're doing, you slick, you slick little <laughs> shit. <laughs> you want to see how I frame them to determine which ones are bull and which ones are. Gotta hedge my bets, Dean. My kid's college fund are on nope, this. you're getting too good all at right, this. Fine. Okay. So ask that one again. President Roslin's cancer takes it. Although I did, I did isolate each one of these to not ask the same thing about the same character. So I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm on to you, fucker. <laughs> President Roslin's cancer takes a sudden turn for the worse. False. Adama learns the truth of Zach's death from Starbuck, and although visibly upset, embraces her in forgiveness. Damn, that would be a good scene. False. Tom Zarek convinces guys Baltar consider a run at the presidency in seven months. Oh, shit. Fuck! Oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> You're so I, for some reason, I, I don't believe it, but it sounds so good. Fuck it. True. <laughs> All right. 
Cylon sabotage causes Starbuck to crash her Viper on a planet. Oh, shit. What? That sounds so good. That's a great one. That's an entire episode right there. Fuck. False. Damn it. <laughs> I want that one to be true, too. After a card game, Starbuck has sex with Gaius Baltar. <laughs> Damn it. I'm going to have to say false. <sighs> I also want it to be true, but false. <laughs> Excuse me. Caprica, Boomer, and Hilo finally locate the homing beacon and a fallout shelter and meet a few survivors. Ooh, true. Yeah, son. That All sounds right. good. All right. Is that it? So just to recount. Yeah. All right. Come on, dude. Jesus Christ. This is harder, this is harder than episode prep. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Caprica, Boomer, and Hilo track the homing beacon to a fallout shelter and meet multiple survivors. True. Starbuck has sex with Gaius Baltar after card game. False. Cylon sabotage causes Starbuck to crash her Viper on a planet. False. Tom Zarek convinces Gaius Baltar to consider run at the presidency in seven months. True. Adama learns the truth of Zack's death from Starbuck and although upset, embraces her in forgiveness. False. President Roslin's cancer takes a sudden turn for the worse. False. Those are your answers. All right. Well, shit. <laughs> I'm already like rethinking them as I go, but I'll stick with what I got. I'll, go, I'll let you change one. Mm. You want to you change one out? You can. So No, no. no. I'm going to stick good? with what I got. Right. I'm going to stick with it. Pay the consequences. Nice. Pay your yeah, repentance. Right. Your repentance, young man. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So yeah. uh, there you go. We'll address those next week and see how you did, young man. Mm-hmm. So, let's get to our final thoughts. And I'm just going to let you freeform this one. I've been getting specific. Let's go, uh, let's go freeform on, on uh, Bastille Day. Tell me about your final thoughts on this episode. I, again, to reiterate, this is Lee's episode. I, I like this character more than ever. Um, you know, in this episode itself, I like him more than Commander Adama. I mean, I think he is, you know, I'm always going to like that guy. I think he, at the end of the day, he's great. But he is inflexible in a way here that I think Lee is better than him in this. And it's really on display here. And I think that's really interesting. Um, as far as the character of Zarek, I am so excited by the possibility that he is a continuous character. I, the way even that he's introduced and the way he's in this episode, a lot of other shows would have that be it. And that, oh, he was an interesting character in one episode. Maybe he's referenced a time or two again and that's really it. I, and that's where my show instincts say, but I really want, and I have the kind of feeling since this show has already surprised me in some ways I did not, you know, see coming. And I think it's a little more unique than I even anticipated. I think he will be a reoccurring character. And I really hope for that because I think it is super interesting, you know, so far, you know, especially if you want to talk, talk about sides, we have the side of the military and the side of the, you know, nascent, barely, you know, hanging by a thread government of Roslyn and the military of Adama, those are the sides clashing. And the civilians, really, too, we haven't seen much of. True, true. And I really like the idea of this new third element, you know, making it kind of a trifecta of, you know, basically powers at odds of uh, Zarek. I really love the idea of it being this kind of pull between all three of them and maybe Zarek actually gaining some influence in the civilian world and gaining influence in the election, you know, Stuff like that, that sounds fascinating to me. I, I think this is an episode that has set out a lot more future possibilities, uh, uh, future interesting things that could come. Again, yeah. 
Not too much uh, on the Cylon front this episode. We didn't get to really delve into that. We got that very small tease of, of Six uh, with Dorel, right? That's his name? D-O-R-A-L. Yeah, fuck it, Dorel. Duracell. With fucking Duracell the battery man. Um, yes. It's closer uh, to a battery than you and I. <laughs> <laughs> the parents must die for the child. Yeah. No, and that was I, – I love that little piece of mystery there. I'm still always – you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm not sure if I've ever talked about it before, but I'm one of those people that when it comes to the X-Files, I actually like those mythology episodes. I like when it's the, oh, it's one of the super soldiers that bleeds that crazy blood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. We're, I like, I love that stuff. So whenever we get in a Battlestar episode that's starting to, you know, oh, dip into the Cylon lore, I'm like, oh, that long running, long thread shit. I'll give sure. me a taste. Let me see some more. So that was something I wish there was more of. Uh, although that there wasn't actually room for that in this episode. This is a very you know, well-constructed episode that is there to see the conflict playing out between Zarek and Lee. That's the heart of this one. But, uh, but yeah, I think it, I, I, again, thoroughly fucking entertained. I, this has been a great show so far. Similar. I feel similar to you. I like that this watching them now and watching them each week, having watched them getting a different top down perspective on the episode structure here between the miniseries and now is this is a real gear shifter. It's a real gear shifter into a whole nother wheel of possibilities that you can spin for story time. And that's, whoa, here's a civilian agitator who's not loyal to the Cylons, not loyal to the fleet. Weird. Here's a third allegiance almost. Yes. Uh, And that is a nice way to break up the storytelling a little bit by adding this guy in if it becomes a overarching thing. But looking at its placement in the series, I go, whoa, that's pretty cool that they stuck this in there when things were really heating up with the Cylons. They kind of downshift a little in that Mm -hmm. respect, but they go from a quiet episode, they kick it back up into a fast episode, but it's not the Cylons. So we're coming, you know, we had water, which felt slow, but it was a Cylon threat and it started to get into the paranoia. And that's what I like about this. You go in the miniseries, it, it, it's, it embarks on this fight for survival. Holy shit, we're in this. Then you get 33. And that's when you start to realize the menace of the Cylon threat outside of the ship. Yeah. Then we get to water and we realize that we have this menace in the fleet, the Cylons, in the sabotage and the destruction that they can sow. And then you have a whole different idea presented as a crisis for our heroes to deal with. And that is the agitation of these prisoners, of these civilians, and what that means. Ty has hinted at these civilians a couple of times in the riots. We've yet to see that. We've just heard about it. They've teased us. So I like how they've introduced a real thriving community of 50,000 where a lot of different things can happen outside of the external threat of the Cylons, as well as your own internal problems, plus possible Cylon sleeper agents and agitators within. Yeah, it is really, it has expanded my, my view of the fleet. You know, this uh, basically like a show like um, Star Trek Next Generation, you know, it's all aboard, you know, the Enterprise. And then every now and then we go down to a planet. It's sometimes there's episodes where they're interacting with other Federation ships here or there. But I like that the fleet is this ever moving, uh, you know, the fleet of Battlestar is this ever moving multiple settings you know all these potential settings every ship could be so different this is a prison colony ship Mm -hmm. you know there could be so many 
different cool settings that we're having to jump into that are all just a part of the same fleet. And that's what right. I, I can't wait to see more of the insides of different ships and what's going on there. And, you know, that also breaks up your society into small little separate ecosystems. Like, yeah, okay, we're all part of the colonies. We're under the president and, you know, Adama, yet they're all aboard their own ships that are entirely separate from one another. It's interesting to see, I, I, to imagine at least, how different they might all be seeing this. Awesome. Well, uh, that's it. That concludes this week's episode, Bastille Day. We will return next week with some more Battlestar Galactic. Again, we're not looking at the titles just yet. (laughs) We Matt waits for for a couple days before recording and sometimes the day of recording to actually look at the titles to avoid as many spoilers as possible. And uh, I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you maintaining the integrity of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like a eunuch, I will say steadfast. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'll just call you the master of whisperers from Game of Thrones. <laughs> I don't get that reference. No, I'm just I actually do. Yeah, I know you watched a couple of you bastard. <laughs> all right, until next time, we will see you out there. So say we all. <laughs>